My message today is going to be a little bit different. We'll get right into it. There's not going to be that transition if you have your Bibles and all of that like we, uh, like we steer, you know, traditionally do. Uh, so we're just going to go right into it. We're going to talk a little bit. Start off with, um, isn't it interesting, communication today, how interesting communication in, uh, in today's day and age is. It's, it's abundant. It is there's just a massive amount of communication um, in the world today and in our society. And what's interesting about it is we have the ability to communicate with one another unlike any time in history. Never been a time in history where we've had the ability to communicate with one another or to communicate around the world like we do now so freely and so easily. And some would argue that in this age of easy communication that we've lost the ability to communicate in the ease of communication that we have. Uh, but be that as it may, uh, communication today is unlike any time in history. We have various methods of, of communication, uh, of ways to communicate with one another, and um, tons of social media apps, of course. Uh, the, the wonderful, dreaded, evil, good, angelic, wicked <laughs> social media apps that we have. Uh, too many to really name, but uh, just to give you the top ten, just in case you were unaware of how many there are, I'll give you the top ten. There, is, there are many more than I could possibly name right, here, right now, but I'll give you the top ten. See how many of you uh, recognize these. Of course, we have Facebook, we have Instagram, we have X, formerly Twitter. We have LinkedIn, we have Snapchat, we have Tumblr, we have Pinterest, we have Reddit, we have TikTok, and we have YouTube. Uh, YouTube, of course, still is a social media app, even though it's mostly uh, video. There is the communication going on, and uh, it, it's just amazing. All of the different social media apps, where the generations, the younger generations specifically, can communicate with one one another so easily. Many more like that, but uh, going beyond the communication ways and in. in uh, Social media, we have the good old, I say this old, this really not that old, but we have texting. And we have, of course, text messaging, which is the most convenient way, it seems, to communicate with someone. Just a quick text and, you know, you can, you can gain the information that you need so quickly without having to go through too much formality. Uh, and then within text messaging, you have, uh, you have the tribalism that has formed within text messaging. It's amazing how communication works and how it begins to, begins to set up tribes. And you have the blue bubbles and the green bubbles. And you have the people who are iPhone and Android and so on. It's communication now. We're, just, we're so full of communication that some would say that we're full of it. <laughs> And then, of course, beyond texting, you have the really old-fashioned now, email. Uh, you remember the days whenever you could email somebody, and it was actually quite, quite entertaining to, to get that. If, you're, if you grew up in the 90s, if you were a product of the 90s, you, how many remembers that you've got mail? How many remembers that? There was no better sound in the world in the late 90s than hearing that as soon as you lo logged onto the computer... 
pre-high-speed internet, you know, whenever you would wait for the dial-up to connect, and then you would hear it log on and say, you've got mail. That was just so very energizing. It's like, ooh, I'm popular. Somebody likes me. Communication. Email, of course, now is not nearly as popular. It's mostly um, for professional, formal use. And uh, many of us, even in this room right now, your email accounts have thousands upon thousands of unopened emails. And you have to do the occasional purge about every six months just to get rid of that massive number that's showing you that you have yet to, uh, to open those, those emails. Email. So we have social media, we have texting, we have email, and, uh, uh, and of course we have phone. Anybody in Gen Z know what a phone is? Anybody know what? Yeah, it's not, it's, it's not just this. I mean, this is a computer. Most Gen Zers don't even use the phone app on this. They cannot stand talking on the phone. But there was a time whenever most of us in this room, we love talking on the phone. We love talking for hours. I remember my sister back in the 90s. She, she went away to school and, and, and she was talking to a, a, a guy on the phone uh, while she was away at school. And we had this 800 number where it could channel the, the, uh, the uh, fees for for talking to my parents' home phone number, and there was one month where that phone bill was over $600. And yeah, my dad was quite upset about that, but you would talk for hours and hours on the phone. And most of us now, especially the younger generations, millennials and, and uh, Gen Z specifically, the, the idea of talking on the phone to someone is, is crazy. It's weird. It, it's why, why, we have to talk? Why, do we, why would we talk? We have all of these other ways to communicate with each other. And I would say that most of us in this room are... Um, pretty avid call screeners. We, as soon as that number comes up, I don't recognize that. I'm just, remember when the phone used to ring at home, it's like, who is it? Who is it? Excitement with communication, but it's amazing how communication has changed over the years. And of course, just a little over 30 years removed now, we still had the old way of communicating with people, which was the loyal, trusty, humble letter. About 30 years ago, now since then we don't really write letters anymore, but about 30 years ago uh, it was, was around the time uh, the death of the letter, but before then for hundreds of years, for thousands of years in fact, it was the letter that was so important. It was the letter, writing a letter to a significant other. I met this person across uh, the state and, uh, or even across town. And the way to communicate with each other was to sit down, put pen to paper, and write a letter. And pour your soul into that letter, sometimes a little too much <laughs> into the letter. And I, I remember as a kid finding some old letters from my dad to my mom. Uh, that they had stored away at home, and I found some of those, and it was just weird to, to read those letters and think of my parents as actual people <laughs> with emotions and, and thoughts. And I remember as a kid thinking that for the first time, that, wow, they, before us, they were actually people. How interesting. How interesting. But that was the way for millennia to communicate with one another. So it's no surprise that 
much of the New Testament. Much of the New Testament. In fact, the most important part, some would say, of the New Testament to a Gentile church such as ourselves is in the form of a letter. And many letters, in fact. It's no surprise that much of that New Testament is a collection of letters. Because the letter has always been important through history in a way to communicate. Thirteen letters in the New Testament, as a matter of fact, that the Apostle Paul wrote to the Gentiles. He wrote to the Gentiles thirteen letters, nine to churches and four to individuals. It was the letter that he would communicate to the church, to the established churches at that time and ultimately throughout history and to us today. It was those 13 letters to Greek and Roman churches that is so very important for us today, a product of Greek and Roman society to read and to understand the letter, understanding the letter. Have you ever thought, I, I think sometimes, because I'm a weird person, like I said at the beginning, I, I think sometimes if the Apostle Paul was writing to us, what would it say? If the Apostle Paul was writing a letter to the church at America, like he wrote a letter to the church at Corinth, or wrote a letter to the church at Thessalonica, or wrote a letter to the church at Ephesus. What if he were to pen a letter to the church in America and what would it have to say? If he were to write a letter not only to the church in general of America, but he were to isolate it and, and boil it down just a little bit. What, if he were to write a letter to the church at Dewajak, what would it say? What would it say to the church at Dewajak? If he were to write a letter to me personally like he did to Timothy, what, what would that letter say to me? Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever examined yourself or examined your community or examined uh, the society that you live in and wonder what kind of a letter that would be? Would it be a letter of rebuke? Because Paul was very good at writing letters of rebuke. Would it be a letter of admonishment? Would it be a letter recognizing your faithfulness? Would it be a letter recognizing your trust in Him, in an Almighty God? Would it be a letter recognizing your giftings in hospitality, as it were? What, what kind of a letter would it be? And I think that's something to think about whenever you think about yourself or this church in general. What kind of a letter would... Paul write to us today. Paul's letters, whether it was to a church or to a person, are really asking a question. All of those letters, if you, can, if you boil it down and concentrate the theme, just figuring out what it is he's trying to say, whether it was admonishment or whether it was rebuke or whether it was, hey, I'm going to point out your good features right now. It was all really about asking one question. He was asking a question 
Who will you become? That's what he's asking in his letters. And that's what I'm asking you today in the church. And I'm asking not only the church here in Dewajak, but you specifically as I look at each individual in the pew. Who will you become? Brother Eric spoke about it earlier so clearly that a lot of times people have this ability to stumble and fall and want to wallow in their misery just a little while and forget that there is an opportunity, yea, even grace, that is provided to you to get up. There's a moment of time, there is a grace that is extended to you to allow you whenever you fall and face first on the ground that you can get back up. But the question is, do you want to get back up? Because sometimes it's easier to stay down. It's easier to wallow in the, the, the muck and the mire. Sometimes it's easier just to live there. So the question today, who will you become? All of Scripture really, not just the letters from Paul to, in the New Testament, but all of Scripture is there's an, uh, uh, just a subtle text right there under, underneath all of the stories and underneath all of the, uh, the, the wordage and the King Jimmy and the, all, of, all of that, that that's trying to ask us, who will you become? Who can you be? What will you allow yourself to become in God? Genesis chapter number 24. Abraham sends his servant to find a wife for Isaac, his son. And this is where we're introduced to Rebekah. Abraham sending his servant saying, But you shall go to my country and to my family and where I came from and take a wife for my son Isaac. Going down to verse number 6, But Abraham said to him, Beware that you do not take my son back there. question was asked, well, shouldn't he go? Shouldn't Isaac go? And Abraham was very clear, I don't want my son to go. God called me out of that place. I don't want to send him back there. God called me out of that place and there's a promise for my offspring and it's very important that in the process of me being removed from there, I don't want to send my son right back to where I came from. So the servant finds Rebecca. And making a long story longer, long story shorter, the servant explains what is going on and basically gets to the point where he asks her, what is your response to the word of the Lord? Isn't that always the question in pertaining to things of God? What is your response to the word of the Lord? And the question was asked, well, why don't we wait? Why don't we wait? What, what's the hurry? How many knows that's how it always works? It's how it always works. I, I feel the pulling of the Lord today, but if I can just wait, I won't feel that pull tomorrow. The servant of Abraham, what is your response? I'm giving you the information. This is the word of my master. What will you do with it? What is your response to this word? And... Some said, 
well, why don't we wait? Why don't we, just, why don't we just sleep on this? Why don't we just wait? And it just seems like that is all too familiar of a response for the human condition and for many of us. Why don't I just wait until I don't really feel that pull anymore? Because when you come to church, sometimes you feel the pull. You feel the word of the Lord. You feel the conviction. And you feel, I, 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 maybe I need to respond. But you also, in the back of your mind, says, well, why don't I just wait? Why don't I just wait on this? I'm going to sleep on this. I'm just going to... So the servant says, what say you, Rebecca? What is your response? And Re- Rebecca's response was, yes, I will go. She says, yes, I will go. Something is pulling me. Something, uh, something is calling me. There's something that says that I, I, I need to do this and I need to go. Yes, I'm willing to go and marry a person I've never seen to a place I've never been. Is ultimately her response here. I'm willing to go. I'm ready to go. Let's do this. I'm willing to go. My response is yes. I'm, I'm, I'm so extremely thankful for people today that respond to the Word of God. That respond whenever I'm preaching and teaching and the Word's going forth that says, yes, I will go. I don't know how I'm going to do this. I don't know how. Coming from the lifestyle that I've always lived, I don't know how I can do it, but my answer is yes. My answer is yes. How many of you felt that one time? You said the the Word of the Lord came to you and you said, I don't know how I'm going to do this because I'm so used to living the way I've always lived. But you know what? Let's take one step at a time and let's just say yes. I'm going to go. I'm going to go to a place I've never been before. I'm I'm going to go marry this Jesus that I've never seen before. I'm going to respond with a yes. I don't know how it's going to happen. I don't know how this is going to play out. But I... My answer is yes. I'm thankful for a room full of people that said yes whenever the word of the Lord came to you. I haven't seen it, but I believe it. Just as if I have seen it. I haven't seen it. I've, I, I mean, this is weird stuff, really. I mean, you talk about it, this living Word, living God stuff. Our version of Christianity, Pentecostalism, apostolic Pentecostalism, where we believe that the Word of God is living and you must respond to it. And there were, there were some people that said, yes, I don't know what you're talking about, but yes. I've never heard of this before. I've never seen it. I've never tasted it before, but my answer is yes. There's something very energizing and, 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 and awesome about a person that says yes to the Lord. I don't know what it is. I don't know what it's about, but I say yes. Genesis chapter number 24, verse number 60. Further in the story, and they blessed Rebekah and said to her, Our sister, may you become the mother of thousands of ten thousands. And may your descendants possess the gates of those who hate them. Interesting part of the story right here, how all of a sudden the people were like, well, why don't we just wait on it? And all of this, and all, and, and all of the hesitation, and all of a sudden whenever she says yes, all of a the sudden there's prophecy that comes upon people. 
It's the kind of decision when you say yes to the word of the Lord and you say yes to God that can turn a sister into a mother, that can, tu- that can turn a nobody into a somebody, that can turn a person into a prophet and you not even know it and realize it. All of a the sudden there's life in your words and you're not just speaking blindly or not, your words have weight and, and you're not just speaking into the air mindlessly. You're, all of a sudden something can come upon you and your words have prophetic meaning. That's the power of a decision that is yes to the word of the Lord. Now going back a little further from Isaac to his dad Abraham, Father of a nation with one kid, one legitimate kid. Now, that's a little strange. We're talking about weird stuff. Now, that's a little weird whenever you get this prophecy, you get this word from the big guy, you know, uh, you're going to be the father of a nation, but you're an old man with one legitimate kid and one illegitimate kid. That just sounds a little strange. It makes me want to say, are you crazy? Do, do you know what you're talking How many ever listened to the preached word of God? Uh, this guy right here and said, are you crazy? Yeah. I say it every time I preach to myself. Are you crazy? Why are you, why are you saying that? But there's something about the word of God that can stir something within you. Genesis 17, 15 through 17. Then God said to Abraham, as for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. And I will bless her and also give you a son by her. Then I will bless her and she shall be a mother of nations. Kings of people shall be from her. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed (laughs) and said in his heart, Shall a child be born to a man who is 100 years old? And shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? He's he's saying, even though I'm laughing, even though I'm scoffing, and I don't understand, I'm still going to speak it. I'm still going to believe it. He's saying, I, I, I don't, this is hilarious. This is, this is crazy. This is crazy talk. I don't understand this word that's coming, but there's something about me that wants to say, yes, I believe and I receive the word. Now, at this point right here in this scripture that we just spoke about, uh, it's, it, it's kind of misleading. He's not laughing about himself fathering a children. He's just, he's just saying, okay, I'm getting old, but, but I can still do it. He already knows he can still do it because he already did it. He knows it's not his fault Sarah has no kids. Remember, he already got with somebody and had, you know, whatever, whatever. He's, he knows, you know, I'm not the problem here. She's the problem, but we'll act like it's both of us. But at the same time, there's something about him that's saying, you know what, I believe this word and I'm going to receive the word and I'm going to call out greatness in someone else. Can you call out greatness in someone else? Can you look into someone else and laugh in your heart and say, there ain't no way in the world this person's ever going to do anything, but still believe the word of the Lord and pull greatness from them? 
I thank God that somebody looked at me one time and said, there ain't no way this kid's ever going to do anything. But in their heart, while they were laughing, they said, at the same time, I'm just going to believe that he can do something. I remember at my dad's ordination service many, many, many years ago, I was just a kid. See, I come from a family, a musical family, and, and my older brother and my younger sister at an early age were already giving themselves to music and playing. My brother was playing in the, the drums in church at you know eight, nine years old, and my sister was singing and playing at an early age, and I was just Joel that didn't do anything. I couldn't clap on beat. I, I, just, I just looked around. I, you see old videos of us in church, and I'm like just clueless, staring at the ceiling. And I remember at the ordination service, our pastor, Brother Davis, in Johnson City, Tennessee, uh, ordaining my dad and walking down the line, laying hands on everybody. Brother Jeremy, you just keep on playing the drums. And Sister Gina, you keep on playing and singing. And you keep on doing everything you're doing for God. And he gets to me and he looks looks at me and lays hands on me. Brother Joel, you you just keep on. And it was that looking at me at that time, I'm sure most people were like, this kid ain't ever going to do anything but I, I thank God that there was somebody that said, well, he may not be producing much now, but I feel like that there's something that we could exalt in him and we could pull out of him and that we could help him develop into, help him to develop into something. And it wasn't long after that that I did. I started to narrow down and figure out some things in life and it was... And it was different men of God and elders in my life and my family that helped me start to get on the right path. But there's something special about men and women of God who can look at people and in their hearts say, I don't know how they're ever going to do anything, but whatever God has for them, I'm going to help them get there. I look at some kids in this place today and I, there's something that goes out from me that says I don't know what their future holds. Some of them may have talent. Some of them may not have right now. But guess what? There's a God that's going to help pull from them some greatness. And I want to do everything I can do. And I want this church to do everything that we can do to make sure everyone, not just the children, every single one under the sound of my voice, we want to pull greatness out of people. I want to see everybody reach potential because that question is ringing in the ears of every single person here who am I going to become what am I going to become what am I going to be in him am I going to be nothing forever am I going to be something can I be something and the answer is yes you can be something That's the reason Paul spent his life, took broken bone. He had to travel with a doctor for Pete's sake. Come on. That's how much he was getting beaten down for this message, making sure that people can become somebody. That people can reach potential. Can we declare to someone there's... There's power in you and anointing in you. Can we look at people and declare in spite of the evidence? Can we look at people in in spite of the scoffing in our hearts? Can we look at people and say, there's something in you. There is an anointing upon you. Most people won't see it, but there's some of us 
in this room today that will be able to see it. We will be able to rise, to raise people up and to cause people to reach their full potential if we would allow ourselves to see it in others. I want to declare, I want to let a spirit of prophecy come upon me and a spirit of prophecy to come upon each of you that will speak over someone life and anointing and future. Let me, let me say that again because I don't think we understand that. We, I don't think we quite understand the power of life that is in our tongue. We have the power of life and you also have the power of death. You can curse someone in a second. You can allow a word to cut someone so deep that they leave here and never come back in a second. But the power of life is something that takes germination. It takes toiling. It takes work. It takes effort. If I'm going to speak life over you, I can't do it just in a second. I need to walk with you while I speak life. To allow the life... To take root. I want to speak life over the children of this church. I want to speak life over this whole row right here. Because I love you guys so much. Whenever you guys walk into the building, I just, I, I love it. And I feel this affection for you. And I want to speak life over you. And I want to walk with you. And I want to help you. And not just you guys, more in the house. I want to speak life. But I don't want to just speak it so flippantly and so freely. I want to, I want to recognize that speaking life takes time. It takes focus. Now if I'm going to speak death, I can speak it in a second. I can cut it and it will die. But if I'm going to speak life, it must conceive and it must develop. There's some voices in this room that I can't wait to hear. I can't, I can't wait to hear. There's some voices in this room that I believe God is, is actively, actively positioning your voice and your mouth and your vocal cords and your soul so that you can speak to people. And I can't wait till the day comes where you begin to speak to others and begin to speak maybe even from this pulpit, but... Uh, specifically speak in a broad sense to others. Speak life. I believe there's some people in this room that haven't spoken in a long time and you feel like your voice has been silenced and you may never speak again, but I want to tell you right now that your voice is not silenced forever. You will speak again. You will speak. Uh, you will speak to us. You will speak to others. And you will speak to Him. Can't wait to hear some of the voices that are going to start rising up in the church, in this local assembly, whether it's young or old. I can't wait to hear what God says through you. I can't wait to hear personal testimonies. I can't wait to hear the things that God has in store for you. I can't wait to hear and to see what you will become. 
what's so exciting about this as we play this thing out uh, in everyday life and as we look to the future and we look to the past and we're married to the present and we, we start to examine. I can't wait to see as I see things start to play out. Now I know life's going to throw curveballs. I know that God's going to throw curveballs. But I can't wait to see what each and every one of us become whenever we go through the fire. We're tried and we come out as pure gold. I can't wait to see what God does through you. I can't wait to see what you become. I can't wait. Who knows what the process could be? I I don't know what the process could be because it could be an infinite number of ways, an infinite number of, of processes where God begins to work and develop you. Who knows what trials He's going to put in your path not to cause you to stumble and fall forever and stay down, but to work through you and to produce something in you. What, who knows what's going to come your way? Who knows what, what kind of hardship can, can come your way? Who knows what kind of blessings are going to come your way? Who knows what's going to happen in the future for each and every one of us under the sound of my voice whenever God causes you to become who He wants you to be. It's my question today as we near the end of the year. I mean, we are, we are almost in December and we are in full steam ahead, going, uh, rounding out, going out of 2023, approaching 2024. I want to know what this church is, what, what you individually, what are you going to become? Who are you going to become in 2024? As we reach the end of this year, I want you to have it in your mind. What, what is it that I need to, what is it that I need to focus on as I'm approaching the end and I, and, and I'm also approaching the beginning? Remember, the end of something is not just the end of something, it's the beginning of something else. As we're, as we're ending this year, we're beginning something else, and we're also beginning something else in the Spirit. What is it that God's going to do in each and every one of you? What is it that God's going to produce in you? What is it? How, how are you going to position yourself? What are you going to respond to with an emphatic yes? Are you, are you going to respond to the word of the Lord whenever it comes with a yes going forward in 2024? Or are you going to respond to the enemy? Are you going to respond to the wicked one? Are you, are you going to respond to depression and infighting? Are you, going to, are you going to respond to that with a yes? No, I don't want to respond to that with a yes. I want to respond to the word of the Lord. Yes. I don't know how it's going to be done. I don't know how we're going to build a church. I don't know how we're going to fill every pew, every seat in this church. I don't know how we're going to do it. But we're going to do it because we're going to reach people. And I believe we're going to do that by speaking life. But not just speaking life. Allowing life to develop. And not aborting life before it's full term. Both literally and figuratively. Who knows what God is going to do? Who knows what's going to happen that's not from God? Who knows what's going to happen in your life that's not from God? It was a year ago, Thanksgiving, 
just celebrated Thanksgiving the other day. It was a year ago that my really good friend in Alaska decided to go out. It was actually the, the, the evening, the, the afternoon before Thanksgiving Day on a Wednesday. He said, I'm going to take my dog out just real quick. And we're going to practice running some trails. Avid hunter in Alaska, obviously, like everyone in Alaska. But he's going to, I'm, going to, I'm going to train my dog a little bit, let him run some, run some trails and for whatever type of, uh, I can't even remember what type of animal it, specifically it would be hunting. But while he was out in an area he grew up in in Alaska, he catch, the dog catches a scent of something. And they get excited. The dog gets excited, but Mike also, he gets excited. All right, this is a good time. Let's, let's go after this. Let's, let's, let's go after this. I, I can't even remember what kind of animal it was. I, I apologize for that. But they, they start to go after it. And the next thing you know, they're, they're, the minutes turn into hours. And they've lost track of time and lost track of direction. They're out in the wilderness. If you've ever been to Alaska, they're... <laughs> It is pretty much all wilderness. He loses track of time and he starts to realize, I need to come back to myself. I need to, we need to forget this tracking business right now and we need to start making our way back to the car only to realize, okay, I'm in trouble. I don't know where I am. In Alaska, in November, it's starting to get dark because it gets dark early. It's about four o'clock and it's starting to get dark. It's starting to get really dark and he realizes I have no idea how to get back to my car. And he starts to panic. He starts to, I'm not even dressed to be out. I've, I've got just casual clothes on him. And, and because I've been running through the woods excited to, to try to track this animal, I, 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 my clothes are wet from sweat and the sun's setting. And it, of course, it's in the 20s. It's cold. He begins to freak out. He begins to worry. He begins to, and the more he worries, the more lost he gets, and the deeper into the woods he goes. And all of a sudden, it comes. It comes to him. I, I'm in serious trouble now. And as the minutes pass, he starts to realize, I'm shivering. I'm shivering. I'm so cold, and my my clothes are wet, and they're starting to freeze. They're so wet, and it's so cold, and. And he starts to realize, I'm, I just might die out here. I just might die out here in the woods. And, and then he starts to get angry at himself. As, Why? Why would you do this? How stupid are you? He says to himself, I can't believe that you allowed, you're going you're gonna to die out here never to see your wife and kids again. You're going to die out here like a fool. Born and raised in Alaska, he knows how to deal with the terrain, the environment, and the elements. He knows, but he was stupid just for a moment. And he began to cry out. He began to pray, God, God, save me. What is going on? What is happening? And he kept praying and he kept praying and he kept praying. What, 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 is, what is happening? What, what is going on? Are you there, God? And he got one word from the Lord. And the word of God said, 
this is not me. He said, this is not me. And that was the word that he needed in that moment to realize it's not the will of God that I die. So if I do die, it's my fault. It's my fault. I'm the one that put myself in the position, this position. God didn't do it. God is not in this. But God's going to have to help me through this if I'm going to make it. So he said that he got to this place in his mind where he started to he started to form this, this way of thinking. I, I, can't, I can't even do it justice. He, and it was all anchored on the word of the Lord that said, this is not me. So he hung on to that for as long as he could and he positioned himself as he's standing in the pitch black wilderness of Alaska, well below freezing, and his clothes are wet. He stopped and he stood still. And he said that he had to position his body within his clothes so the skin wasn't touching the clothes. That's easy, right? So he had to position himself in a way as he's beginning to freeze to death, as his body is literally beginning to freeze to death, he keeps praying, God, help me. There's nothing. There's no voice coming back now. There's no instruction coming. But there is something coming upon him that starts to change his mindset just a little bit as his vision starts to go. He starts to see colors. He starts to see this kaleidoscope of colors. And his mind begins to play tricks on himself. On, uh, his mind begins to play tricks on him. And he always he has to go back to that place. This isn't the will of God. So I'm going to... I can't, I can't even describe the miracle that this is. The, somehow the grace of God, I, I've preached about it before, that the grace of God is not mercy. The grace of God is a teacher. The teacher came to him somehow to separate his soul within him from his body without leaving his body. And he said, my body was screaming to die. As the hours tick by, 4 o'clock, 5 o'clock, 6 o'clock, 7 o'clock, 8 o'clock, 9 o'clock, 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock. Okay, here we are at midnight. Now it's Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving. Woohoo! Into the morning hours, his mind somehow, he's allowing his soul to instruct his body not to die. I can't even grasp this. His soul is literally holding his body together. And he begins to hear helicopters. And he begins to hear a search helicopter, which, uh, which you would think would be a, a, wonderful, a wonderful thing to hear. But there was something about hearing the helicopter that caused his mind to want to go back out of this place that he had gone to to help him sustain himself through the hours 
to want to go back to that place of dying. So he began to he began to scream, he began to shout, and he began to hallucinate. He began to see drones coming in after the the uh, the kaleidoscope of colors were were and he began to see a house off in the distance and he started yelling at the house guys call someone call someone there was no house there and there was no drone in the sky as he approached four and five o'clock he quickly approached the time where he was about to die over 12 hours in the alaska wilderness with wet clothes on and sub-freezing temperatures And all of the sudden, two brothers by the name of Bo and Tobias Abbott that went to his dad's church spot him. And they come running over and they say, Mike, he thought it was another hallucination. He thought it was just another another way of deception. So they start a fire. They take some of their clothes off and they wrap him up and they start a fire and it's 30 minutes before. You see, finding someone to rescue them is only half the battle. You have to get them out of where you rescued them. And he was in no position to get out yet. So they started a fire right there at 5 in the morning to try to warm him up and put new clothes on him, took off the frozen clothes. And they said it was over a half hour before he even started shivering again, before he even felt cold because he was so far beyond. I say that to say all of this. They get him out. He finds his way back home. He lives. I texted him on Thanksgiving. I said, it's been a year since one of the greatest miracles that I've ever heard about in my entire life happened. Happy Thanksgiving. He said, praise God. That's for sure. That same night whenever he's struggling to stay alive. And the only thing he can do is just hang on to one word from God. This is not me. In Colorado, there was a woman that was trapped or got lost in the woods. And it was basically about 35 degrees. Much warmer there than it was in Alaska. And she froze to death in a few hours. But somehow... Over 12 hours in frozen clothes in the Alaskan wilderness. He hung on the word of God and stayed alive. Somehow. There's so much more to the story and I can't possibly tell it all right now. But I said that to say... Whether something comes your way from God or if it's not from God, hang on to the Word of God. Say yes to the Word of God. 
Say, I don't, I don't know how I'm going to do this. I don't know how I'm going to live this life. I don't know how I'm going to do any of this. But somehow, I'm going to say yes to the Word of God as we all stand. I know the message was a little different today. I can't help but make sure that we understand. Whether it's from God or whether it's not from God, God will provide you a way of escape. He will provide you an avenue. This is the kicker. I know it's tough whenever you talk about trusting and depending and leaning on God. Sometimes you don't know what the outcome's going to be. Sometimes you don't know if it, it may be that this is the exit ramp. It may be that this is the exit ramp for me. And as much as I, as much as I don't want to take that yet, I'm still going to trust Him. And sometimes there's just something that comes upon an individual in those times where you think this is it. Where God says, I'm going to show you this ain't it. I just happen to believe God uses the word ain't. This ain't it. And if you allow me, I'm going to work something in you right now. You got yourself in a situation at your doing. But there's something about an almighty loving God that says, I'm going to help you through this. Just hang on to my word and say yes to my word. Why don't you lift your hands and love him just for a moment. God, we thank you. We appreciate your word. Yeah, things are confusing. Things are difficult to understand. Sometimes I don't know which way is up, which way is down. I I don't know. But I'm going to say yes and I'm going to trust you. I'm going to say yes to your word. I'm going to say yes to the preached word of God. I'm going to say yes to my brothers and sisters as they speak life over me and they want to help me to develop and to grow in you. I'm going to speak. Yeah, I'm going to say yes. Because I want to become something in you. I don't want to just become something in you. I want to become something for my family. I don't want to be a deadbeat like my dad was. I don't want to be a deadbeat like this one was. I don't want to be just another product of a generational curse. I'm going to say yes because I want to become something. I don't know how I can do it. I don't even know who I can become. But I think you know. So I'm going to say yes. So whatever that means, whatever struggles I'm in, whatever tight situation that I'm in, whenever I think that that death is surely at hand, I pray right now that the grace of God 
Which, by the way, I recognize is what Paul started all of his letters with. Grace to you. I pray that the grace of God would come to me. To teach me and to help me develop through every situation that I experience and I live. Because I want to be someone. I don't want to just be someone. I want to be who you want me to be. I want to do it in spite of all of the negative talkers and naysayers. I want to do it in spite of all the ones that said he ain't ever going to do anything. I want to thumb my nose at everybody that thought that I would never do anything that made fun of me at Bible college because I didn't have a certain charisma or didn't have a certain way of speaking. In the truest sense, in the most righteous sense, I want to tell all of them to kick rocks because I'm going to stand on the Word of God and He's going to make me somebody. I don't know how. I don't know how He's going to make you. Just as I didn't know how He was going to make me and He is still making me. I haven't arrived yet. If we would just... Say yes. This altar is open if you want to say yes. This altar is open for anyone who says, I've stumbled, I've fallen like Brother Eric said, and and I feel convicted today because I've wanted to stay down. I didn't even want to come today. But Brother Eric spoke to me today and said, you can get back up. It's the will of God that you get back up. In fact, it's the word of God that says, a righteous man falleth seven times, but gets back up. I want to say yes. I may trip and fall. I may fall on my face. I may find myself in a terrible situation out in the wilderness about to freeze to death. But I'm going to say yes. I'm going to say yes to your word. And I'm going to depend on you to help me to become.